if you snuck in late, we're actually launching a brand new series today. Um, we run this series every single year at this time of the year, and it is called Be Rich. And um, the reason that we run this series is because I don't have to stand up here and tell you that if you look out at the world, there are a whole lot of problems with the world. And there are a whole lot of things that could be better, and we, some of us would say should be better, and we need to do something about it. And um, often we have this tendency to just point out the problems. And so every year we do this series because as a community and as a church, we don't just want to talk about problems, we want to be a solution to problems. And the local church and the church globally really should be a solution to a lot of problems. Uh, in fact, um, hospitals and schools, uh, uh, churches uh, across the globe uh, put a lot of money and build hospitals and build schools because they see a, a problem and they want to be a solution to it. If you look in a lot of developing countries, uh, churches partner with and churches do a lot of great things to help build infrastructure and help people learn how to grow crops and have clean water and hygiene. And there are a lot of other great organizations that do that as well. And throughout this series, we want to be, as the local church, as beyond, we want to be a solution to some of these problems. But in order to be a solution to some problems, uh, we need to start with a problem. And the problem that we have, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, you never know what I'm going to pull out from the back of there. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this where you kind of um, go to the cupboard and you're kind of ready for, you know, that morning bit of toast if you have it or you're ready to make that sandwich and you pull the bread out and then you start to open it and you pull it out and it's got the, that mold starting to grow on it, right? And you're kind of like, oh, that's disgusting and you kind of like throw it away, throw it in the bin or... Um, and really what's happened when that, that occurs, right, is we've held onto it for too long and now it's not good to anyone. We've held onto the bread, we've left it in bad conditions and now because we haven't done something when we had it and when it was okay, uh, now... We can't use it. No one else can use it. We have to throw it away. And, and it's kind of this sort of problem that we're going to talk about as we kick off this series today. And in fact, James, who is the brother of Jesus, is going to help us address this little bit of attention. But I need to let you know from the start that regardless of whether you're a Christian, whether you're not, whether you're kind of skeptical or whether you've got questions, what James has to say is going to challenge all of us. So we need to put our big boy pants on we need to put our big girl pants on and we need to get ready for what James is going to say that's going to challenge us. Now, in case you have to leave early um, or you miss it, I want to let you know the big idea that James is trying to communicate to us and that James is going to get across to us today so that you don't miss it. <clears throat> the big idea that James wants us to take away is this. You need to start giving while you're living because what you're holding is molding. Okay, James didn't say it like that, right, because James wasn't Dr. Seuss. I said it like that because I kind of thought if I can make it sound a little bit Dr. Seussy, it'll help you remember it, it'll help it stick in your brain a little bit better. The idea that we need to start giving while we're living because what we're holding is molding. Because James, the brother of Jesus, was actually a pastor of a church in the first century. And James wrote a letter to a whole bunch of, uh, to a bunch of Christians that was distributed to a whole bunch of churches um, that leaned in to this idea and addresses this idea of how we hold on to um, or, or how we address the stuff that we're holding on to. And this is how James begins. He says this. He says, now listen, you rich people. And some of you straight away are like, oh, geez, I thought this was going to be a challenging message. This isn't for me because I'm not rich. This isn't the message. This series is not for me. I can kind of switch out. I can kind of zone out because I'm not rich. But this series, this is the, the series every single year where I come up and I tell you and I remind you that you're richer than you think you are. And in fact, there's probably a couple of reasons that you don't 
feel rich. Or when you look at this, you kind of go, ah, James is, James is not really talking to me. And one of the reasons is because you don't live with any margin. You have no financial margin in your life. And so the money comes in, the paycheck comes in, and it sits in your account for about 45 minutes, and then it goes straight out to all the bills. And you've got another credit card, and you're kind of racking up the debt. And so you don't feel rich because you live with no margin. The other reason, one of the other big reasons that you don't feel rich is because you know what everyone else has, right? You see their house, you see their car, you see their boat, you see where they send their kids to school, you see where they holiday, and you look at it and you go, well, well, I don't have that kind of money. I must not be rich because I don't have that. And then social media makes it worse, right? Because people who can, take, who can kind of get like uh, really good camera angles, they kind of show you all the tropical destinations they go to and you think to yourself like, well, I never holiday there and we would never possibly be able to, to send, afford to send our kids to school there. And, and how do they have money for a $300 pair of jeans that the kids are going to grow out of in six months? Like, how do they do that? And you look at that and you go, well, we're not rich like them. And it's got a lot to do with how we feel, but often... We don't feel rich, but the fact is, and this is a fact I remind us all of every single year, we need to pay attention to this, that if you have a household income of $33,000, you're in the 1% club. If you have a household income, not an individual, a household income of over $33,000, you are in the top 1% of richest people in the world. And no one's running around like, yes, we've made it. Yes, we're in the 1% club. Can you believe it? We're high flyers. But yet millions and millions of people all around the world would look at your bank account, would look at how much you earn, would look at how the stuff you have, and they would say, wow, you are filthy, stinking rich. And just, just so we're clear, I'm letting you know this not, so, not to make you feel guilty. So if you're kind of like zoning out, you're like, oh, he's going to make me feel guilty. Like, come, come, come back. Okay. I want to let you know that I don't want to make you feel guilty with this. I want to make you feel responsible. I want you to feel the weight of the fact that you are in the 1% club. Okay, back to what James is saying. So James kind of starts out. And the reason James sort of starts his letter is like, now listen, you rich people. It's because there was an idea and there was a conception within that culture that if you had a lot of riches, that God loved you more than other people. If you had a lot of stuff, that God favored you in a way that he didn't favor people who had a lot of stuff. And Jesus steps into this culture, James's brother, and throughout all the New Testament, Jesus redefines this. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you've made a false assumption. You've missed the mark. And Jesus, what Jesus says is, is this, that rich people aren't more loved Rich people are more responsible. And into the midst of that culture, James leans in and he says, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Kind of like, ooh, James, that's like a little bit harsh, isn't it? But, but what James is saying, right, is that, that the more stuff you have, the worry doesn't go away, right? Because chances are for some of you, like the more and more stuff you have and the more and more, like, um, the more, and more possessions you get, the more and more you worry. Because you think, how am I going to pay for all of this? And so then you think, I'll just get another job or we'll just take out another loan. And, and chances are, this is like unbelievable. If you were to go back and talk to your 15-year-old self, 
If you were to go back and talk to your 15-year-old self and you were to sit down and you were to say, hey, guess how much money I make a year? Your 15-year-old self would be like, wow, we're rich. And you're going to go, yeah, but I've got so many worries. I've got so much trouble. And your 15-year-old self is going to be like, how? You're rich. You've got so much stuff. How could you possibly have any worries? But what James is highlighting, right, is that there becomes a tendency within all of us that the more stuff we get, the more riches that we have, that our hope begins to shift. There is a change that happens inside of us and our hope begins to shift from God to our stuff, from God to our riches. And we start to worry because if we don't have any stuff and if we don't have any riches, we're not going to have any hope. And James goes on. He says, your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. Right? Literally, the people he was writing to had so much gold, had so much silver, had so much stuff that it was rotting away, that it, that it, wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't good to anyone. Really, what James is saying is, now your stuff, it's not good for, a, of, for anything to anyone. And at this point, it's kind of worth clarifying, right? That James, James is not worried how much you make. James is not worried about how much you earn, right? What James is kind of highlighting is it's not what comes in that's the problem. It's what stacks up. You can, how much comes in is fine. It's, it's how much that stacks up because James is saying it's all the stuff that's stacking up that's being moth-eaten, that's eroding, and it's not even good to you, let alone to anyone else. And then he goes on. He says, their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. I told you you had to put your big boy and your big girl pants on today, right? But, but what James is saying, and the reason James talks this way, is because James believed that we were ultimately responsible to God for the way we handled our stuff. Now, I get that some of you are probably like, yeah, Chris, but come on, man, I, like, I'm too smart for this. Like, like, I'm not even sure I believe in God. Like, I'm not really... I'm not really into the whole scare tactics thing that James is trying to use here. And, and you need to realize that or recognize that James actually isn't trying to use scare tactics to motivate people. But the reason that James is saying is that people were responsible is because of not something he was taught, but because of something he experienced. See, James actually saw his brother hang on a cross. James saw his brother murdered before his eyes and then they took his lifeless body off a cross, buried it in a grave and then three days later, James had breakfast with his brother. And all of a sudden, in the middle of James's life, a shift occurred. And James went from someone who wanted nothing to do with his brother to someone who was eventually stoned to death because he believed his brother was his saviour. And so when James is challenging the first century Christians, he's not challenging them out of fire and brimstone or scare tactics. James is saying, I saw someone rise from the dead, and it was my brother, and I believe he's my saviour. And when you have a conversation with someone who rose from the dead, you believe that there is an afterlife, and you begin to believe that there is more to this life than just this life, and that begins to make you think about your stuff in a different way. Because all of a sudden, you now 
feel the weight and the responsibility that having that stuff entails. And he goes on. He says, you have hoarded wealth in these last days. Really what James is saying to everyone, he goes, well, why hoard when your time is short? Why are you holding on to this stuff when, when the time that you have in this life is so short? And if we, can, we, if we can be really, really honest, most of us will run out of time before we run out of stuff, right? Most of us will run out of time living this life before we run out of stuff that we've accumulated. And you, and you see this, right? You, you would have seen this so clearly if you've ever had to um, if you've ever had to journey alongside someone or if you ever yourself have experienced the loss of a loved one or a friend or a family member and you've had to go over to their house and clean out their stuff. Because all this stuff that was so valuable to them, so important to them throughout their life, you go over and what do you do? You box it up and you move it on and you get rid of it. And you might hold on to a couple of things for sentimental value but the majority of it you go... What are we going to do with all this stuff? Now think about this. This is particularly important. Like think about it. If you have kids or you one day want to have kids, it is no surprise that you are not going to live in this life forever. One day, our time here will end. And when that time comes, your children will walk into your home and they will see your and they will have to do something with it. And James is saying that you can speak about generosity your whole life, you can talk about being generous, but at the end of your life, if you're left with a whole bunch of stuff, your stuff is actually going to testify against how generous you are. Because everyone's going to be like, well, what do I do with this all? Really, what James is saying is what we do now will determine the story they, our children, tell and the example they experience. And the way we think about our stuff and the way we manage our stuff will determine just the, the story that, uh, that our children tell about us. Which where this lands for us is really this, is that resource people shouldn't look for loopholes to give less. Resource people should look for opportunities to give more. Because resource people go, hey, I don't want my stuff to testify against me at the end of my life. I don't want to have all the stuff that I had left over here leave and kind of point back to the lack of generosity that I had in my life. And some of you, right, some of you are kind of sitting there and you're thinking this in your head. You're kind of thinking to yourself, you're crossing your arms, you go, Chris, yeah, great, but I don't owe anybody anything because all I have is mine. I earned it, it's my stuff, I get to do what I want to do with it. And here's, here's the truth, right? If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in an afterlife, if you believe that this life is all there is, don't give. Because this is true for you. This is 100% true for you if you don't believe in God. You don't owe anybody anything. It is yours. You should do with it what you want. But, but if you believe that there's something more to life, if you believe like James did, and James would say 100% there's something else out there, then all of a sudden, it's not all yours. And in fact, Jesus, if you're interested in what Jesus would say, Jesus would actually say that if it's not yours, then you have a responsibility to manage it. If you are responsible to someone for the stuff that you have, you're not an owner, 
you're a manager. And if you're a manager, then one day you are actually held accountable for how you manage the stuff that you've been given. And if you still push back, right? Because I know some of you, like, because I would, I would push back too. I'd be like, well, Chris, I kind of want to believe in God, but I don't really like the whole being responsible part. I kind of still want it to all be mine. Think about this. How much of your stuff can you take with you? When you die, if you believe there's something more, how much can you take with you? Like you know, right? You know the answer to that is nothing. But here's the thing. If you can't take it with you, you don't own it. It's not yours. And someone else will own your stuff when you leave. So, what does that look like for us? And I know, whoops, <clears throat> I know that some of you at this point, you're kind of being like, oh, you're just going to tug on our heartstrings and you're going to try and make us give and, and all that stuff. And, and I would say that's not the purpose. So that's not the purpose of today is to kind of make you feel emotional. What I want you to understand is, and grasp is what James is saying. The idea that if our stuff, if we are responsible to people for how we manage our stuff, really the only response in this life is extravagant generosity. If we can't take any of it with us, if we believe that there's more to this life and that God actually stepped into history, died on our behalf, then our only response should be extravagant generosity. And in being extravagantly generous, as followers of Jesus, what we demonstrate to the rest of the world is simply this, that everyone matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. Everyone matters to God, whether God matters to them or not, because it is really, really difficult to argue with extravagant, no-strings-attached generosity. So over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about some really practical ways that we can be extravagantly generous and we can begin to make a difference in the lives of the community. But the first, the first challenge that I have for you as we launch this series this week is simply this. I want you to practice letting go of what you're holding. I want to set a challenge to you to practice, to begin to let go of what you're holding. Now, notice, I'm not asking you to commit to being generous. I'm not asking you to even sort of acknowledge that you're generous. I'm just saying just practice. Just one time practice. Because we do this every single year. We practice being generous as a community. And last year, we practiced being generous and we raised $2,743.20. This year, we want to raise the bar. We actually want to raise $3,500 this year. And we want, to cha- we want to challenge people a little bit further because we haven't done this in past years, but we're going to start, we want to do it this year. We want to challenge every person, not every family, not every couple, every individual to give $30. And we know some of you are probably like, oh, I could give a lot more than that because $30 you look at and you're like, that's easy, that won't affect me. If you can give more, give more. The whole purpose of kind of setting a number there is to lay the challenge out to you. And to say, hey, this is kind of the minimum that we're challenging people to be generous with. If you can give more, we hope that this figure begins a conversation in your home, in your relationship, with yourself around how are we being generous? And more than that, more than that, bigger than $3,500, this is is what we really want. We want 100% participation. 
We want every single person, whether you believe in Jesus or whether you're not or whether you don't like the church at all, we want 100% participation. And here's what we're going to do. Here's our commitment to you because I get that some of you kind of are new to the whole church thing and whenever churches talk about money, you're skeptical and I get that, okay? I get that. But I need you to know that we're asking 100% of you to give and we're going to give 100% of it away. And even if 100% of you don't give, we're still going to give 100% of it away. And so for the next month, everything that we take in and we're going to give you a place that you can donate, we are going to give 100% of everything we bring in away. And some of you are probably like, well, where are you going to give it to? That's a good question. When we launched Beyond, one of the things that, that, our, uh, that, that we said is, as a church, we are not going to start food banks. We are not going to offer counseling services. We are not going to try and fix the problems in the local community. Instead, what we are going to do is we are going to be the biggest champions that we can be of local organizations that are already doing that stuff. Because we don't want to compete with them. We want to partner with them and so we made a commitment that we were going to help them and resource them as much as we could and so we've been doing this for the last four years and so this year we're kind of expanding it a little bit and we're not just looking locally but we're actually going globally as well and so the three organizations that we're giving to this year the first one is actually an international organization they're called open doors open doors works in uh, the 50 most dangerous countries in the world they provide relief aid, uh, they provide medical assistance, and they provide safe houses to people. Um, oftentimes, a lot of the people they provide safe houses to are actually follow people um, in countries where it's illegal to follow Jesus. And so they've become followers of Jesus, and now they have to um, kind of provide protection because they would be murdered for their faith. Last year, Open Doors provided 270,000 safe houses worldwide. The other organization we're going to give is to this, an organization called Bush Kids. Bush Kids provide um, education um, and uh, health care for children and teenagers in regional, rural, and remote areas uh, throughout, throughout our country. And this is um, to help uh, and support parents, uh, maybe for children who are, who are disadvantaged or have disabilities, and they're already in a regional, a rural, or remote um, community. So getting access to some of that stuff is so, so difficult. And we want to partner with Bush Kids to help them. And the final one is a local organization based at Sandgate called Sandbag. And we're going to um, partner with Sandbag. Uh, and Sandbag, the part of the organization we're going to partner with is Sandbag actually provide um, counseling and to support for children who are part of a domestic violence situation at home. And they provide um, uh, housing and care and counseling to children who experience that and don't have the best home life. And here's Here's one of our favorite parts about all of this. No one in our church is involved in these organizations. These organizations didn't approach us and ask us for money. We just did our research. We just looked out at organizations that were making a difference in the world, and we're going to call up them up at the end of this Be Rich campaign, and we're going to say, hey, we've got something that we want to give to you. We want to practice being generous, and, and we're just a local community, and we love what you're doing, and we want to be a solution to a problem. And we see that you're actually being that, and so we want to champion what you're doing. And so here's the easiest way you can do it. You can actually just, you can take a screenshot of this, or you can photo this. Um, we'll have some cards over the coming weeks that'll, that'll be out. Um, we had some issues, and they, they're supposed to be in your seats, but they're not here, but that's okay. Um, and you can donate right here to this, uh, to this, and make sure you put in the description, be rich. If you put in the description, be rich, that's how we know, otherwise we've got to guess, okay? Um, and we want everything that you donate, 100% of it, to be able to go to these organizations. 
Over the coming weeks, we'll give you an update on where we're going and an update on how much we're raising and we'll let you know. Because what we do with this, whatever we raise, we just split it in thirds. And we just give it away straight down the middle. We don't give a priority to anyone straight down the middle. And over the coming weeks, we'll let you know about some other ways that you can partner in this as well. But as we close today, I just want to speak to you, those of us in this room who would stick their hand up and say, you know what, yeah, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, just, just imagine a world where every single follower of Jesus didn't have their hope in their riches, but actually felt responsible for the riches that they had. Could you imagine a world where every single follower of Jesus didn't say, you know what, this is going to cost me this much? But they actually said, you know what, this wasn't even mine to begin with, so I'm just going to be extravagantly generous. Could you imagine a world where people are skeptical about us, but they're envious of how generous we are? They say, you know what, I don't get you, I don't understand you, I'm not sure why you believe what you believe, but I cannot argue with how generous you are. It makes no sense. Could you imagine a world where our community looks in and goes, you know what, you guys believe some weird things, but we are so glad that you are here. We are so glad that our kids can be a part of your community. We are so glad that we work for you. We are so glad that we're friends with you because your generosity rubs off on us and you make the world a better place by being a part of it. The good news is for us, we don't have to imagine that. We can actually be a part of making that world become a reality. But the power is in our hands. The power is in your hands. So, on your marks, get set, be rich. We hope you join us for part two next week. But